Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Matthew Wright, CEO and founder of SpecWrite, a specification data management platform that's raised $45 million in funding. Matthew, thanks for chatting with me today. Great. Thanks. Nice to be on here with you, Brett. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, no problem. I'm the founder and, and CEO of SpecWrite. But, you know, kind of going back before that, obviously, I had a life before SpecWrite. So I had a great opportunity to uh, move around the country uh, as a child and Got to see a lot of different things and places, which was a pretty cool experience growing up. And then ultimately got into the packaging business, uh, what I always call accidentally. Needed a job. It sounded interesting. And so I started actually in New York City in the my early 20s and, and rose through the ranks of kind of several large, big packaging companies and then ultimately landed out west here. And so, again, had kind of a great colorful background and, and a great career to this point. And what was it about packaging that drew you in? I, I'm guessing when you were... Uh you know, 10-year-old or an 8-year-old, you weren't dreaming of the packaging industry. So where did that come from? Yeah, I don't think anybody did back then. I think that's that's changing for the good today. You know, I have, it's funny, I have an early uh, picture of me as a child with a, with my first box. So maybe I did care about boxes, but what interested me about it, and it still does, is it's always moving. It's fast-paced. It's changing every day, which is something I need. I'm kind of always a restless soul. And so I always need a new challenge, a new opportunity in front of me. And really to see really cool things made. And that's, uh, I've had a chance to be in kind of over 300 factories in my life. And, you know, I always say, see everything from chickens processed to missiles made. So it just, I, I'll be honest with you, Brett, I was accidentally lucky, uh, fell into to a packaging uh, business and, and a business that I just still today love dearly. If you had to pick one thing, what's the craziest thing you've seen in a factory? <laughs> I'm always careful here because everybody that's around me starts to limit their diet and doesn't want to hear about how all things have been made in the past. But I tell you, the, the coolest factory I've ever been in was SpaceX. And, and obviously you would think that, but just by the by the name and, and what they're doing. But really cool to see manufacturing at that degree and that level, and really to see what they were trying to do to change the way that space travels had, and not commoditize it, but make it really more accessible. And so that's probably one of the coolest factories I've been in, but I would put up there Volkswagen in uh, outside of Pueblo, Mexico, it was an amazing facility. So just seen a lot, uh, seen the baby carrots produced and, and made not too far from you. So that's been super exciting for, to kind of see all things made. And is there a specific food item that you personally don't eat because <laughs> of what you've seen? Or what would you recommend that I, I would generally avoid eating? Any yeah. any tips? I want to be careful because so, some might be clients. I, I would just tell you, you know, further and, and really refine and processed food is, is a little challenging. I tend to be a very simplest eater, eat kind of very simple food anyway. So I've narrowed down my my thing. I tell you, interesting places to go watch things be made. Hot dog factories are interesting. Uh, soup factories really does uh, make you understand how all, the, all of it comes together. But uh, in general, great companies, great people trying to get product to market, but uh, certainly exciting and interesting. Nice. I love it. And now two questions that we like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a CEO and as an entrepreneur. First one is, what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? I think founder, you know, if I look at founders, people who started something, and everybody knows me around me, knows this answer is coming, but Steve Jobs. 
you know, I think from a couple of different perspectives, and there's a ton of them out there, but but Steve was a visionary, you know, and the other interesting thing about Steve is he's done it twice, right? He, he redefined two different spaces, but really just focused on kind of his Apple legacy. And I think just how he leaned in on really smart people and expected great things is interesting. I think how he himself had high expectations, how he drove innovation, not being asked to be innovative, but trying to come up with things that people felt was really life-changing. And uh, you know, I look at, he didn't invent the phone, but it sure as heck changed the way we interface with it, right? And uh, so always kind of the one go-to that I have from from an admiring uh, perspective. Nice. I love that. And there's so much to admire about him and really just the products that he's built. To me, every now and then I just think about how crazy it is that he's been you know, dead for what, like more than 10 years now. And yeah. the, the products are still so good. Like the every Apple product I have, I just love. I don't know why, but I just love it. And they've just done such a good job. And it's really impressive that they've been able to maintain that, you know, long after he's gone. I, I just really am impressed by that. Yeah, you know, you know, hundred percent. And it's funny, you know, they say that the thing you keep innovating. They've innovated so well so early, they're so far ahead still, even with his passing. And and I remember being you know, having computers or personal computers that you know literally took a day to download software onto to connect it. And I was just mesmerized by my first Apple PC and go, oh my God, you just turn it on and it works. And uh, so just all that innovation through the years has been great to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And what about books? So we can't say the Steve Jobs book here or an Apple book. We got to go outside that. But is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you? And this can be one of the you know classic business books, but the ones that I typically find the most interesting to hear about are the books that really shaped your worldview. I stole this from someone else, but they call them a, a quake book where you know really just rocks how you view the world. Do you have any quake books? Yeah, I do have one on business and that, but it's just as funny aside. I'm, I'm a we're a big music company, and so I read too many uh, biographical stories on on rock musicians and stuff. So those are my first go to books. I have a whole collection, but on the business side. One that really resonated with me many, many years ago, it's a pretty old book, is Good to Great. And how it impacted me, I was early in my career and early in my journey of management. I was one of the youngest general managers. And so I was trying to figure out how to do all this. And what really resonated with me is that it's actually the leadership that shapes the culture of a company and how critical that is. And it really did have tremendous impact on how I envision you know, what a company is, what a company can be. And so again, it's a legacy book and kind of uh, probably far in the tooth, but but really impacted the way I managed it and have for years. And is there a music book that you'd recommend? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that. I have a ton of them. And, and uh, the last one I, I read was Dave Grohl's. Loved it. I love Dave Grohl. That was an excited one and a couple other ones that I've uh, been kind of trying to get through recently, but uh, definitely love that that type of book. Nice. Have you watched the documentary, The Defiant Ones? Yep. Yep. Uh, there's probably most documentaries around that genre of music I haven't watched, but uh, yeah, no, it's interesting for sure. Yeah. I just watched that uh, a few weekends ago and it's so good. Jimmy Iovine is so, so epic. He's another yep. uh, entrepreneur that I think is fascinating. Yeah, no doubt. It's a great one. Now let's switch gears here and let's talk about Specrite. So take me back to the early days and let's talk about the origin story. Yeah. So it kind of stems through what I shared from my early days in my career you know, in packaging, what's interesting in that career is you, you really are horizontal industry. And so what, what do I mean by that? You deal with, I just said, like, you know, chicken processing plants to automotive plants. So you see all things made. And the other thing I didn't share as a child and continue to be highly organized, you know, clutter drives me insane. And I like organization and kind of simplicity and logic. And what I noticed through industry, my whole career, and it kind of fell into doing it this way because everybody does 
this is chaotic nature, which everybody shares stuff and gets stuff done. And so, you know, 20 plus years of watching that, I had an opportunity to buy and grow my own packaging company and sell it and had a chance, you know, still relatively early point in my career to say, what do I want to do next? And I decided, hey, I'm going to go solve this this organizational problem in industry. It's going to seem like, you know, really easy to do. And uh, sat back for a good period of time and tried to figure out what's missing, what's causing this chaos. You have amazing people, amazing companies, great products. So why is there so much chaos and slow to get stuff to market, mistakes made? And what I realized is the most important data set, which is the specification, is what something's made of and how it's made, was missing. It was dysfunctional. It wasn't managed correctly. And so I started upon developing what today is now specification data management category, is defining what a specification is and creating that platform to start with. Obviously, we grow a lot from there. But that's where it came from, and that's kind of the first step in the journey. Now let's talk about those category creation efforts. So what was that process like for you to just get to the point that you had that term specification data management? You know, what happened between you know, thinking you should create a category and saying, here's the term that we're going to go with? I can tell you it's a very challenging journey. You know, one that, you know, fortunately I didn't think it would be so challenging to start with. I think I still would have done it, but it's kind of that naive blundering through something that, oh, it can't be that hard. And what I didn't realize, in all honesty, is at the time as I was creating the category, what I was trying to do was solve kind of a real-world problem I saw. And then about four and a half, five years ago, I had a great partner of the business join, Laura Foti. She's a CMO of the company today, and a couple other advisors, and really started to formulate what is it that we're doing and, and how it is, how should it be defined. And so the early days of that was, like you just said, defining the category, specification data management. And then we can talk about some steps to continue to mature that. But that was the foundational belief in the beginning is it's just something net different, something not better than incrementally different. It's a fundamentally different approach. And if you get the spec right, the rest follows. And that was the origin of kind of this belief that we could create a category. Nice. I follow Laura on LinkedIn, or I at least see a lot of Laura's stuff that she posts on LinkedIn. And she's such a great marketer and has really interesting insights and perspectives on category design from what I've seen. And yeah, have you know, she'll be well known from here on out and uh, does an amazing job in doing that. And and we're really fortunate to pull in, you know, early on, uh, I had Dave Mollenhoff was one of the founders of Salesforce, helped me on kind of the company creation early on. Then we've had Carter Cast help us with the category creation. And we just had Mike Crow, former CIO of Colgate, join us So on the board. So we've had just, we've been very lucky to have some great people around us helping us. And where did that luck come from? You know, how do you get in touch with like the co-founder of Salesforce and Colgate, or yeah, I think, would you say CIO yeah. Colgate? How does that happen? Yeah. How do you get these people? You know, the beginnings of the journey is always exciting and also challenging. And, and you're just out there kind of naively talking to everybody. You know, it's just, it's this contagion. And so I was literally talking to one of our early investors about this and he says, oh, you got to meet this person. You got to meet that person. And and you get connected. And I think that energy you have, uh, that you should have, uh, when you start a company, never mind a category creator, both are challenging in of themselves, is that you talk a lot. You just have to. You have to try to connect a lot of dots and then find people that resonate, find people that can bring value. Uh, you got to have a lot of people have a lot of opinions that may or may not bring value, but you got to pick off the ones at the right time. And, and that's how that worked. So I say lucky, but obviously it's purposeful luck. And then recently, the Mike Crow story is a great one. Like two years ago, I was asked to get on the phone with him when he was CIO of Colgate. And I was pretty anxious because we had just landed Colgate. And I was afraid he was going to change that opinion. And 
Mike was so smart, just right away got what we were doing, got how it fit into their tech stack, got how we could in, improve Colgate, and uh, just lucky enough to got to know him. And then when he retired recently, it was literally weeks later, we started chatting and said, hey, this makes perfect sense that we formalize this relationship. So talk a lot, get a lot of experience, listen, know what you need, and then engage with the right people and good people. And you mentioned there that there are some steps that you're taking to really mature that category. Can you talk us through what those steps look like and, and what you're doing to mature the category? Yeah. The first thing is, and again, I'll take the playbook more for more, uh, but is to be the resident expert. Talk about it. You know, it's a, and you'll see I'm constantly talking internal to the company because it's also a new category for people that work at the company. So really talk a lot about what it is. You know, be the thought leader in the space of specification management. Do not wane. Do not waver. It's easy and it's very natural to try to morph into something that everybody understands, but stand strong against that. And then kind of some functional pieces is we are, Laura convinced me to engage Gartner early on. Today, you know, that is where they are defining that we are the category creator and we are the leader in the space. So you have that third-party validation. You know, we wrote the book or I wrote the book about the kind of the category and where how it came about. And then ultimately, you know, winning awards around the fact that this works and using our customer base who are amazing people that that love what we do to amplify that this is a thing and it's solving real world problems. And so there's kind of an order to those that I went through, but in general, you know, the challenging part is you got to do them all when you're creating a category and don't give up. And then lastly, we solidified it with a patent and some of our technology that really makes it work. And so you got to do it all, fortunately. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now back to today's episode. And a lot of the founders that I speak to on the topic of category creation and a lot of the founders that come on, they are also apprehensive about working with the analyst firms like Gartner. So for you, where did that apprehension come from? And how did you get across the line or what did Laura do to get you across the line to, to get you to speak with the analyst and to, to get bought into that you know, general approach? Yeah, fortunately, and not always, but fortunately, I have a management style that I hire really smart people around me and really just engage them and empower them to do what they think is right. And listen, we're going to make some gambles and we've lost. We're going to make some that really do well. And so she knew she had a pretty good company coming to me and knew I'd probably engage with her and trust her. I'm not a marketer. I don't haven't created a category prior to this. So I trusted her and her mindset was right, which is our primary customers are enterprise or enterprise suppliers because of the high complexity. And enterprise at some level has to have a filtering system of which to engage with things or not. And so, well, we did engage with G2 and we're, we're, we're publicized on that. You know, our primary audience probably looks at Gartner. And we'll talk about our academia program in a minute, but, and so it was a no brainer. I would tell you, it spent two years of a lot of meetings, a lot of conversations to where it started to click. And Gartner started to get what we're doing and how it's different. It's not a magic quadrant yet, but you know we'll see what happens in the future. But yeah, no, I think a lot of people do. But if you have enterprise customers and you're doing something that hasn't been done before, I do think it's an avenue you got to consider. And if you reflect on that category creation journey so far, what would you say is like the top, you know, one, two, or three takeaways from that journey? Well, one is again, I think it's good that nobody knows how hard it is. 
you know, I, I always say, hey, listen, starting a company out of scratch is I've had a chance to run big corporations. I've had a chance to do my own company that was in existence and double and triple that business. This is my first start from zero business. I can tell you starting from zero is the hardest of the three, having done all three. So starting a company of itself is challenging. And then on top of that, trying to create a category is challenging. What the biggest thing you have to do is be very relentless in the definition of that category. What I think naturally happens is you have that gravitational pull to try to make you something that you're not, but fits something that people understand. And so I think just the wherewithal and the endurance to fight that battle. And I do it today, you know, and where somebody's trying to define you in a space. And then today, what's interesting is, you know, we're having RFQs come in with specification management on them from major brands. We're having another, you know, other big technology companies starting to define this category. So today we're having company, which is not bad. So those pressures are different today than they were to start with, but really staying resolute to who you are as a category, I think early on is tough and really the thing you should do. Yeah. And everyone says you can't have a category of one. So of course you need to welcome competition, but what's the real story like behind the scenes? You know, as you start to see people use this term that you you and your team invented and, and created, does that worry you a little bit? Like, do you ever have doubts of, you know, what if we don't end up owning this space? You know, we put in all the work to create it and then someone else, you know, just takes it and runs with it. Do you have any concerns like that? And if so, you know, how do you convince yourself to, you know, not get distracted by all that noise? Yeah, it's funny. I think you know this from interviewing enough people. You know, everybody has this opinion that entrepreneurs are these brazen, don't worry people. It's quite the opposite. You know, so step one, I worry all the time about everything. So that happens naturally. And so, yeah, you do. I think the key that I look at is let's pay attention to somebody that has fundamentally changed the tech stack to more closely mirror us and then define them as a competitor and really define the others as ankle biters and kind of marketing changes. And so I think when you do that, you start to not pay attention to all the noise. You just pay attention to the right noise. And then ultimately the goal, and this is something Dave Molenhoff told me early on, is focus on the customer. Please the customer and kind of the rest follows. And we have a 98% retention rate we don't lose customers. And so that is a fanatical view that helps insulate us from, you know, current competitors or, or future competitors. And always kind of like back to Apple, always be thinking years ahead, you know, where we're headed and which we do. And I saw on one of the testimonials, the title director of packaging. So could you just tell us about like the daily life of someone who's the director of packaging at a massive, you know, fortune 500 company, what's their day-to-day like, and, and what are some of those challenges that they're experiencing if they're not using a platform like yours? Yeah. First thing I tell you is busy. <laughs> I think everybody's busy, but you know, packaging today has tremendous challenges upon it with uh, supply chain issues, sustainability expectations, cost reduction expectations. And really as, as like in my book where I put products and packaging are harmonious today. So the packaging has to be great, has to be received well. So there's a lot of things on their plate. One of the challenges and, and one of the things I love about my job is that we are fundamentally giving them time back to do amazing things. That has always been my charter. And so today, unfortunately, they spent a lot of time answering requests, asking for data for some reason, maybe even a sustainability report, asking for updates on cost savings reduction plans. Uh, they're asking to try to solve the next retailer's question about a new product and how they can get it to market with the right packaging and dealing with commodity fluctuations and changes in price and supply. And so all the, you know, I don't want to, demean it to the point where they're just chasing around and trying to get answered questions, but too much of their time is spent in those type of activities versus being proactive and being able to plan way ahead in, in the cycles. 
Mm, interesting. And do you see that these people are typically open to new technologies like yours, or is it difficult to get them to try new technology? No, I think, you know, early on, I'd say definitely more maybe resistance to that. But the, what I always call, I call the operator, the person who's functionally using the tools and our usability scores are very high. They're in there all day, you know, using the tool, very little resistance, understand the, the, the opportunity of it. They understand how it changes their life, gives them time back. You know, one of our challenges is too many people want it and don't can't get it done. The bigger challenge is, you know, bringing in, you know, a new way of doing things to an organization that may be siloed and then maybe have resistors at, you know, technology positions or others that don't understand the criticality of a spec. And so our, what I call our champions are our champions and dear champions. We still have our first customer, but it's, you know, definitely in fairness, a little bit of what's around them that they have to deal with. And are there any metrics that you're okay with sharing that just highlight some of the growth and traction that you're seeing with these customers? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so our revenue for three years going has doubled. You know, while we're, we're still early in revenue, we're doubling our revenue every year. What's fun is last year, 50% of our net new revenue was expansions. So, you know, our customers not only land, but they keep staying with us. We talked about our net and gross retention, obviously with that high of expansion, our retention's great, but even our year-over-year retention's at 98%. So world-class kind of retention. Our user uh, counts uh, continue to go up daily and exponentially. We've doubled user counts in the last 12 months where it took us you know, three years to do that prior. So definitely some really fun milestones and metrics of growth and usability of the system. And then our kind of usability score, which is a you know calculation of how much time and energy they put in it, shows we're, we're close to social media. We're a lot closer to social media than we are kind of industrial technology. So I really believe that industrial technology should be used like social technology. And so we're getting there. Uh, we're getting pretty close to that. So happy to share any other metrics, probably be 200 customers this year. Wow. That's amazing. And last couple of questions here for you. Uh, first one is, what excites you most about the work you get to do every day? So from talking to you, I can tell you're very high energy. I can tell you're excited about this stuff and you're you know, very just free-flowing as you talk through all these questions. So where does that energy come from and you know what gives you energy and, and what excites you and motivates you? You know, I believe in what we're doing is right. You know, and I do believe it's fundamentally good for everybody. There's nobody that's, that's not advantaged by this, uh, whether it's Time back in the day, finding smarter ways to do things, answering questions of sustainability. Ultimately, my vision is, you know, giving more awareness to the consumer of what, you know, how things are made and where they're made, et cetera. So I think it's because I know it's it's fundamentally different and it's changing the way things are made, continues to create that excitement. And then recently, you know, you always need a little win in the sales. So, you know, winning uh, the third and the enterprise list for Fast Company was exciting. We just got the hard copies today. That happened a couple of weeks ago and uh, some other exciting awards coming up. So, you know, you do need continued pushing. We have a great leadership team that always kind of buoys each other up. We spent two hours in a strategy session today that was both tiring and invigorating at the same time. So I don't know if that answers your question, but, you know, kind of all those elements around me. Yeah, it definitely does. And that, uh, that impresses me even more that you're able to come to this interview with so much energy, considering you did a strategy <laughs> meeting for two hours before it. Yeah, it was a, it was a good one too. Interesting stuff. I feel like those can be so draining sometimes. You walk out of there and you feel like you just ran a marathon. I think it is absolutely feels like that. But, you know, it's one of those after you run, a, not having to run a full marathon, but after you run a marathon, you also are exhausted, but you're happy you did it, right? So it's kind of the same thing. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. 
Now, last question here. Let's zoom out into the future. What's the next three to five years look like for SpecRite? And let's just talk about that future vision for the category in general. It is all about uh, network. It's all about these companies who we've joined with kind of individually one-off, put them in this standardized methodology and letting them you know, create great products and, and do great things with that data. Now take that to the next level, which we're coming out of beta right now, and let these companies that do amazing things start sharing data, start sharing supply, start sharing specs together. And that may be a retailer that deals with a, a product producer that deals with a packaging producer. You know, why have multiple sets of data? Uh, let's have one set of data that everybody can kind of come in and work from. And so network without a doubt from a product company positioning is what excites me. And then the second piece is, you know, I always say this kind of half hazardly, but you know, we're using over 30 countries, but bought in 15th, and I would tell you 14 of those by accident. And so excited to see kind of a global rollout here in the next couple of years as we think through this is a global problem. Let's take those 14 other countries and expand those much like we've done here domestically. Amazing. Matthew, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap, which is a shame because I'd love to keep you here and just keep asking you questions, but we'll have to save that for round two. So before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build this company and category, where should they go? Yeah, definitely find a real engaging website. Specright.com is easy to find. We're on LinkedIn, obviously Specright on LinkedIn. And uh, as you mentioned, our, our team members are pretty easy to find. So happy to engage with anybody. It's a journey educational journey and love to just share what we're doing and, and get other partners involved. Amazing. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, share the company's story, talk about your category creation efforts and everything that you're building. This has been a blast and super interesting what you're doing and look forward to having you back on in the future. No, I look forward to it. Let's do it. All right. Take care. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 